Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. I'm so glad you're joining us as we continue on in our series that we're calling Times Like These. My name is Stuart, and I'm one of the pastors here at ACF Church. This past year certainly has been a challenging year for most of us. We've gone through COVID. We've had racial tension. We've had social unrest. We have huge fires burning. And we have also a presidential election coming up just around the corner. And I believe that we're standing in a defining moment for our world. And we can go through this time, and we can either get frustrated uh, by focusing in on all the problems, or we can see the growth and we can find new opportunities to grow closer to God and to other people. When I was growing up, most of you know that I, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and I moved from there. I went to high school there, and then I went to college there. And then right after college, I really felt a pull to move to Colorado Springs, and I worked at a Christian ministry there. And while I was there, I felt God uh, had Uh, prepared me and called me to go over to Dallas to attend seminary, a Bible school, so that I could become a pastor. So I did that. So I moved to Dallas. And then from Dallas, I moved back to Colorado, up to Denver, and I was a pastor there, my first full-time gigs as pastor. And from there, my home church back in Tucson called me. So I went moved back to Tucson, and I spent several years there pastoring. And I also had uh, the privilege of meeting my beautiful wife, Nikki, there. So it was a great trip back. And from there, uh, after a while, I felt God was calling us to something different, and we came and brought our family up to Alaska. And so here we are. And during those times, I can honestly tell you that there were some times where I felt like God was super close and that he was leading me and that I was walking uh, hand in hand with God and that I knew what I was doing. And that if I'm honest, there were times where I felt like God was nowhere, that he had abandoned me, that I wasn't quite sure what the plan was, and maybe I had made a mistake by moving to another city or doing something different. Um, and I don't know if you feel that way, like maybe God has sometimes abandoned you or forgotten you or that, that he's just absent from your life. And I know during this year, it can really feel in all this chaos like God has just disappeared from the scene, right? And I, I love that we serve a God who is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow. He hasn't changed, not today, not ever. And we can read about God's faithfulness throughout Scripture And today I want to look at a passage that's in Genesis that specifically talks about God's faithfulness. It's a little strange, uh, but it's a hugely powerful passage for us today. So if you want to read, it's in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 7. And it says this, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from 
the Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. A little background here is, I know it's a strange story. What is going on here? And a little background is Abram. uh, We don't hear that name a lot in church. We hear Abraham. And Abram is Abraham. Uh, It's before God changed his name. And Abram means father. And Abraham means father of many. So that's just uh, an interesting thing to keep in mind as we go through here. Because God is promising to make Abram a great nation. And so I want to give a little bit of background that leads us up to where we we start our story. That will help us understand what's really going on. And so... uh, Abram starts out in Ur of the Chaldeans. It's a city that doesn't exist today. Uh, You can't find it on any map, but if you were to look uh, at where it was, it's near a city that you might be familiar with, and that's Basra, Iraq. So it's southern Iraq is where he was born, and and that's where he would have called uh, originally home, and that's where uh, he's with his family, and he has two brothers, and uh, his brothers are Nahor and Haran, and Haran dies and has a son named Lot, kind of attaches himself to Abram. So he's got his nephew with him. And so they pack up. uh, Their father, Terah, decides to go from Ur of the Chaldeans and go north almost 700 miles to a city called Haran. And it's worth noting that the city named Haran and Abram's brother named Haran, they're two different Hebrew words, and they just happen to to be spelled the same in English, but the, the city's not named after his brother or vice versa. Just kind of a funny coincidence Um, I know now you are set for Trivial Pursuit, like ancient Greek or ancient Hebrew editions, so uh, you will win at that. So they travel 700 miles north uh, to a city called Haran, which is still a city today. It's been rebuilt, and it's in southern Turkey. Uh, So it's quite a journey, but they go there, and that's where uh, God speaks to Abram for the first time, and he says, separate from your immediate family and move to where I'm going to show you. Uh, Basically, God's telling Abram, go on a big road trip. Um, and take off. And he does. He decides he's going to take off on a road trip. And so he travels 400 miles down to what is now Israel, but at the time was occupied by the Canaanites. Uh, and we were, uh, they were a pretty strong nation. And he settles in a place called Bethel. And Bethel uh, is just north of Jerusalem and west of Jericho in modern day. So if you're looking on a map, you can find that. And so he and Lot and his wife, uh, they all go there with all their, their whatever they got in the world. Uh, and that's where they first settle. 
And what happens when they first get there is there's a famine uh, in the land. And so they, I think they kind of panic. And so they had, they're continuing going south, and they end up in Egypt. And they try to stay there, uh, but because uh, Abram represents himself uh, untruthfully uh, to the people there, they kick him out. And so Lot and Abram and, and everybody, they come back and they settle back in Bethel. And they realize, Lot and Abram realize that all their possessions are uh, so great that the land can't support their livestock and their families together, that there's going to be contention. And so Abram comes to Lot and offers him the choice land. He says, whatever direction you go uh, and separate on good terms, you can go that way and I will go the other way. Uh, that way you get the choice land. And so uh, Lot is drawn east to the Jordan Valley, which is uh, uh, the Jordan River runs through the Sea of Galilee in the north all the way down and stops in the Dead Sea. And that, that Jordan River between the two uh, places is, is great land. It's, it's a very well-developed land. Uh, and Lot sees that and loves it. So he moves that direction east and he eventually settles south uh, near the Dead Sea in a city called Sodom. Uh, and Abram, he decides to go a little bit further south uh, from uh, Bethel, and he ends up in Hebron. And that's just in southern Israel today. And so he decides to settle there. And after that separation, um, the, there's some kings back from Ur, uh, kind of in the Chaldean area, way up north, way up north, uh, that band together. And there's several kings. They come south, and they're just trying to dominate and uh, kind of settle some, some bad blood that's been between these two regions for quite some time. And they dominate the kings in the south, and they happen to be dominating around the Dead Sea where Lot is. And so Lot and a lot of uh, the cities and people in the cities around there are taken captive and brought back to the north. Abram hears about this, uh, and he's obviously concerned for his nephew and his families. And so he gathers all the fighting men that he possibly can. Uh, at this point, that's 318. It gives us a specific number in the Bible. And so he takes these, this band of men, drives all the way north, um, walks north, but goes north, and he, he uh, chases down these kings and, and rescues the people of Sodom, some of the other cities, and Lot. And so he brings them back. And so that's kind of where we pick up our story in chapter 15. That has just happened. Uh, God has blessed him with a victory against a much greater force. And so he's back. He's getting a lot of praise from the surrounding kings. Uh, they're very thankful that they brought their people back and their possessions. And uh, in verse 7, uh, I love it that we get, in, God gives a purpose to what he's doing with Abram. He says, all the way back when you lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, when, before you, I ever talked to you, before you even knew who I was, I was working in your life so that your, your dad and your family would move up to Haran, where I, I drew you out so that I could give you this land. I have a purpose in it. So long before he even knew who God was, God was working in his life and his family's life. And now God comes to him directly. And he says, I have a reason for doing this. And so Abram asks a great question uh, right off the bat. How do I know that I will possess, that I'll possess the land, that I'll possess it? How will I know? And this is like, a, I think, a practical question that Abram is asking here. Uh, I don't think he's like pushing back against God like you can't do it. He's just saying, how do I know? Because I've just taken 300 men north and upset some powerful kings and brought basically stolen back what was ours, but now they're not going to be super happy with me. This is already a pretty unstable region. How do I know that I'm going to possess this land, that this is really going to happen? So that's his question to God, um, and I think it's a, it's a real question that we might be asking too. 
And so as a response, God asked him uh, to bring some animals for a sacrifice. He asked him for a young cow, a female goat, a male sheep, and a couple of birds. Uh, so Abram takes these animals and he cuts them in half, except the birds, and he basically lays them out with space between them. And that sounds really weird for us, right? And if you've ever been around dead animals, like maybe you're a, a hunter or you've been on a farm uh, and you've, you've had to deal with butchering animals, uh, you know this is probably a really messy, dirty scene uh, that's going on here. It's kind of crazy, right? I'm just glad that today um, uh, we don't have to do this kind of crazy thing. For them, this was a way to uh, make a covenant or a contract between two parties. And it sounds super weird. Uh, I'm just glad that, yeah, we can just sign a piece of paper like when I want to buy my house. I don't have to walk through some dead animals with the bank. That would be kind of weird, right? But I know when I go to the store, um, sometimes my kids... Uh, they'll, we, we, I don't know how we always end up in the toy section, but we do. And they always are, whatever toy is like right in front of them is the toy that they've needed since childbirth that they have to have. That's the one they've been dreaming about for months. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. They just grab it and that's the one it is now. And they make a deal with me. Dad, I will clean my room. I will, I will take out the garbage. I will do whatever you want if you'll buy me this toy. And if I hesitate or maybe express maybe a little doubt that they're actually going to follow through and do the things that they promised... Sometimes they'll, my three-year-old even, I'll give you 20 bucks, Dad, if I don't follow through. Or I'll, I'll give you my iPod. Um, no, my three-year-old doesn't have an iPod, but my 10-year-old my, uh, does. And so uh, that, they'll offer that. And so really what we're doing is we're making agreement with an express penalty. And that's what's going on here uh, with God and Abram. Uh, it was a symbolic ceremony, and it sounds kind of weird to us, but it was common back then when two major parties would make an agreement, like two kings would come together and say, we're going to join to join forces together, we're going to have a trade agreement, uh, we're going to be allies, uh, or maybe uh, huge land deals. The two parties would sacrifice an animal, separate it, they would hold hands and walk through the center. And the idea here is that if either party violates this covenant that we are making, that we will be like the dead animals that we're walking through. And so it was a, an expression of we will fulfill our part of the deal. Uh, it was a very formal uh, and binding ceremony. So that's what God is doing here. And so I love it that right at the start, Abram falls asleep. Um, and we don't know if Abram is completely in this section of vision, if this is all happening uh, in some kind of a dream that God is talking to him in, or if there's parts that are dream and parts that are actually happening around him, or if they're all happening around him. But what we do know, it says that Abram goes to sleep, and God does three things for Abram, and there's three specific things. Uh, the first one is he comforts Abram, and I love it. Uh, the, the first thing that God does uh, with Abram is he gives him comfort, and how is he comforting him? Well, he tells him that your descendants, I'm going I'm to give you this land. I brought you out, and your descendants are going to be uh, in captivity. They're going to be slaves for 400 years. Super comforting, right? But it is comforting if you think about it that God is not slow in keeping this promise, but he's telling Abram there's a time frame to this, and it's a long one. And so if you're part of that uh, the lineage of Abraham after Abram dies, um, and the promise hasn't been fulfilled, and you're, you're living in captivity, uh, you're a slave at this point, this promise would keep you going, that at some point, God is going to fulfill this promise, that there is a future hope, and that not only a future hope that he's going to, uh, that, that this is what's going to happen, but he's going to bring them out at, after 400 years of, of serving others, He's going to punish the nation they serve, and he's going to bring them out with great possessions. So it's a comfort. It's a, it's, 
Hope for the future is what God is giving Abram and his descendants right here. And the second thing he does is he commits to Abram by walking through the, the halves of the animal, um, the, the symbol of the, the smoldering the, the pot and the flaming uh, torch that are going through these animals. Uh, it's interesting that uh, Abram doesn't walk through these things. And so it's God's way of saying, I am going to fulfill this promise that it's not up to you, Abram. So I am committing to you to make this happen. And the third thing that he does is he covenants with Abram. And he says, I will make a specific covenant with you that I'm gonna promise you the land in which you are currently living. And the, if you could count the stars, you could count your descendants. And this is all in the time frame that Abram had no child and hadn't been able to have a child to this point. So this is a big, a big deal uh, and a big promise uh, to Abram that God is making. So he's making this promise and a covenant. Um, and God is guaranteeing it on his own. And we know that the promise was fulfilled to Abram's descendants because the, the, his relatives, uh, Joseph, enters Egypt uh, because his brothers sold him into slavery and, uh, to make some money to get rid of him because they didn't like him. And uh, so eventually Joseph raises up and he's serving the Pharaoh and running, running the affairs of Egypt and working through them uh, in a huge famine in the land. And so his brothers eventually have to come to Egypt for food, and they come and they get restored. Um, but those are the 12 tribe, tribes of Israel. And so now they're in Egypt, and they're in good standing, and the Pharaoh likes this family, so they, he invites them in, gives them choice land, and they prosper, and they continue to grow and grow and grow. They grow so big that at, at some point, um, a new Pharaoh is kind of afraid that this nation's gonna overtake Egypt, and so he enslaves them and forces them into labor. And they are there 400 years. And that is fulfilling part of this promise. That's the hope part. And then after 400 years, God sends Moses in and through plagues judges the nation, judges Egypt uh, for holding them uh, as slaves and brings his people out um, and then gives them eventually the land. And so this is, that's the start of fulfilling the promise. And so we know that God is good for his word. Um, and I love it. So what can we learn from this? Does this apply to us today? And that's the big question is, was that Old Testament? Is that, that was a promise to Abram. It wasn't necessarily a promise to me or to you. Uh, so, so what can we learn from this? And it's really my one, uh, one thing I want you to walk away with today. And if you write nothing else down, this is, I would encourage you, if you have a pen and paper, write it down. If you don't have paper, just write it on your hand. That's okay. Um, it'll wash off eventually, but it'll remind you of something that's really important. And I want you to walk away with this today. And it's this, God is always faithful. We can count on what he says. So stop what you're doing. You may have been you know, checking your uh, ESPN uh, uh, fantasy football scores. You may have been checking out uh, Facebook or just maybe having some breakfast while you're listening to this, and that's cool. But I want you to stop for a second. And would you, would you read that with me one more time? God is always faithful. We can count on what he says. Another way to say it is God never doesn't do what he says. He's always going to follow through with what he says. We can count on it. We can act on it. And that's really where faith comes in for us. It came in with Abraham, and it came, it's the same faith for us today. And I love if, you, if we go one verse back from our section that we're reading in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, uh, we can read what I think is probably one of the more pivotal verses in all of the Bible. Uh, so if, if you want to know, like, what, what is, in my view, one of the most important verses in all of the Bible from start to finish, it is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and it reads this. 
And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God counted to him as righteousness. And I love it that it's nothing that Abram has done. It's that God simply counts to him righteousness. And that word is a legal term. It just, it just means declared. It would be like a judge declaring somebody adopted into a family or a judge declaring you innocent um, or exonerated. It's, it's a declaration and it's a done deal. And so when it says it counted to him as righteousness, it's, it's God saying, uh, Abram had faith in what God said. He believed in his heart what God was telling him, that he would make him a great nation, that he would give him descendants beyond counting. And God uh, gave him standing, declared him righteous at that point. That was faith that Abram had in what God said. And our faith today is no different. It's us responding to what God has said. And what God has said is that Jesus Christ is the way to be made right with God. So if we believe that Jesus Christ came, that he walked this earth, that he died and he rose again, then we will be saved. And that's a promise from God. And we see that in Romans ten nine. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a great promise to hang on to, and that's the faith of believing the words of God. It hasn't changed from Abraham to us. Now, the object of our faith, Abraham simply responded to what God said, and that's really what we're doing. We're responding to what God has said, and that's believe in my son, Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So the story in Genesis, it really demonstrates God's faithfulness to us, that God is always faithful and that we can count on what he says. So if God's faithful, I started thinking, what are some of the promises that apply to us today directly? And I've, there, are, there are a ton. If you start looking up promises of God in Scripture, they, it's, it's, there's thousands. And so I picked nine that for me have been really helpful. And I would encourage you uh, to take notes and write these down uh, and go back to them. Maybe write them down and put, maybe one of them stands out to you and you can put that in a place that you will be reminded of a promise that you desperately need to hear today. Uh, these have helped me uh, through my life. So here, here they are, some promises that apply to us. He promises to give us rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and, I, and you will find rest for your souls. We can find rest. When your life feels chaotic and busy, God says, Jesus says, I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you that rest. Even in the midst of the storm, uh, we can find that, and that's so cool. He promises his peace will be with us. And it's Philippians 4, 6 through 9, and it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Again, in the midst of whatever we're going through, we can find peace. And that's amazing. Uh, and you know these people. You've seen people that have faith of what God has said, and even though their life seems to be uh, going through a really hard or dark time, uh, that they are at peace in their lives because they are connected to God, and he has promised to do that. He promises to amaze us, and I love this one. It's Malachi 3.10. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God will amaze us. When we start to be generous uh, towards God, God will be generous right back to us. 
I love that. He promises to give us wisdom. James 1.5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's not a question. It may be given to him. It will be given to him. Uh, we need to ask uh, for those things. God, God wants to be a good father, giving us good gifts. He promises to give us a way out of temptation. Uh, one of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. No matter what we're facing, God says, if we bring it to God, we have a way out. He's always going to give us a way out. Now, we've got to take the way. We've got to make a choice, but there is a way. He promises that our salvation is secure no matter what. John 10, 28 and 29 says this, I give them eternal life that they may never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, again, it depends on our faith in Jesus, not our works and our ability to, to get our lives cleaned up. It is really our ability to just trust in what God has said and has put our faith in Jesus, and the rest will follow. And as God says, it's a done deal at that point. Uh, it can't be revoked. He promises to never leave us. Hebrews thirteen five. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We don't need to worry about what's going on again around us, that we can walk through these things with a God who is right there with us. Even when we may feel like we're all alone, we are not. Even when Abram was feeling like he didn't even know who God was, moving from Ur of the Chaldeans up to Haran and then Haran down to modern-day Israel, uh, he at times, I'm sure, felt very much alone, but God was with him every step of the way and working even when he didn't see him or know him at that point. God promises to finish what he started in us. Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's not given up on us at all. He also promises that he's coming back. And I love this one. Luke 12, 40. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. He is coming back. It may seem like maybe he's, he's completely forgotten or things are just gonna continue on like this forever. But there is a time when Jesus Christ will come back and we will see him face to face. And that gives me hope and that should give you hope as well. As we look through those promises, maybe there was one that stood out to you and, it, and I would say hold on to that promise and that's the one that I would write down. Uh, that's the one that I would, would, would make sure that I could review that one uh, day to day uh, because that's maybe one that God is prompting you that you need to hear uh, that maybe you didn't even realize was a promise that God has made to you. Uh, but they can be an encouragement to you as you go through your week. You know, what would it look like if the people of ACF acted on what they believed, if they simply responded to what God had said and did it? I believe we would be a community known as a church of movement, that people would, would, would be amazed at how, how effective uh, we are at connecting with people, at how uh, we are able to take just simple words from God and put them into action. And we would see an incredible uh, change in our community. We would see, uh, I think, an outpouring of the Spirit into the lives around us. I believe that when we respond to God's word in faith, it's honoring to God and it's pleasing uh, to Jesus. Would you pray with me as we close our time together in prayer? 
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a faithful God, Lord, and that you have called us into covenant with you through Jesus Christ. We can be adopted into your family. We can be made right with the God who has created us. Lord, that the burden of guilt and shame can be removed from our shoulders, that we don't have to walk through life tied down to these things, but we can experience a breath of fresh air uh, through Jesus Christ, that we can be free to walk before you and to respond to what you have told us to do. So Lord, I pray that we would be a people of response, that we would be a people of faith, that when we hear your word, that we would not just uh, hear it and, and, and be intellectually stimulated for it, but Lord, that we would be hearers of the word and that we would put it into action. Uh, that we would respond in faith. Lord, the action doesn't save us, but it is a, a, an indicator of, the, of the, the state of our heart, of the state of our faith. So Lord, let us be people where our action and our faith line up. Let us be people who honor you. Lord, I pray that during this time, this COVID time, uh, this contentious time in our country, in our world, Lord, that we would be people that take advantage of the opportunities to grow closer to you and closer to others. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.